Well, good morning, church. If you have a copy of Scripture, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 17 this morning. There's a, a popular phrase that gets tossed around in our culture a lot. And taken at face value, this phrase is, is actually not wrong, but there's a, a problem with the way it's used. It, it can be theologically rich and, and quite true, but the way it's used does not accurately reflect what the Bible teaches. No doubt all of you are familiar with this phrase. You, you could probably finish it if, uh, if I began it. So, so let's try I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now again, theologically, that, that's not incorrect. However, people often use that theologically correct phrase to undermine the biblical concept that we're going to consider this morning. And that is the doctrine known as sanctification. Now, when you hear that, some may be tempted to think that terms and concepts like sanctification are, are just for the seminary nerds. They're just for the, the high-minded Christians. Perhaps you may be tempted to think that it's not important for living the Christian life, a concept like sanctification. Those types of things are just for someone else. But brothers and sisters, let me remind you this morning... That sanctification is not some elite sort of contemplation. No, sanctification is a Bible word. And it's used throughout the scriptures. And as we're going to see this morning, it's fundamental to the Christian life. And so before we get too far this morning, we need to define this term sanctification. Because our passage this morning doesn't actually use the term, it just speaks to the concept. So let, let me give you a good definition for sanctification. Sanctification could be understood this way it's the gradual process by which God the Holy Spirit makes Christians hate worldliness and love holiness. The Holy Spirit makes the Christian to hate worldliness and love holiness. And, and please notice that definition speaks of those who are already united to Christ by faith. And it describes what's happening in their lives as they live their life united to Christ. For, for clarity's sake, let me define it a different way. Okay? Sanctification could also be understood this way. It's the process by which the Holy Spirit takes those who are already positionally holy accepted before God because of the merits of Christ. The Holy Spirit takes those who are positionally holy and He grows them in practical holiness. It's key that we're clear that what we're talking about here this morning today is it's not what saves someone. Rather, this concept is applied to those who are already saved because they're united to Christ by faith. And the way we understand sanctification is that there is both divine enablement on God's part and intentional engagement on our part. 
This intentional engagement is exactly what Paul is speaking about in our passage this morning. After dealing with the the glorious way that God has saved us in the first part of the book of Ephesians, Paul turns in chapter 4 to talk about our response to such magnificent grace. He starts chapter 4 talking about the way that churches experience spiritual growth corporately. And now, as we turn in verse 17, Paul is going to focus in on how individuals experience spiritual growth. The the thrust of Paul's point in this text, the, the main idea, if you will, is that there are two ways of living in the world, and only one is fitting for the Christian. And out of that idea, Paul issues two distinct calls for the Christian in our text. Those two calls are going to serve as the points of our sermon this morning. The first is the call to forsake ungodliness, and the second is the call to pursue holiness. So with that in mind, let's now read the text together and hear what the Spirit has to say to us in it. Ephesians Chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, will you? Father God, we are thankful this morning for your word. And God, as we consider it now together, I do pray that you would keep me free from error. Father, I pray that you would come now and by your Holy Spirit, illuminate the text of Scripture to us. Father, cause us to believe what we see here. And in believing it, Lord, I pray that you would work to root out the sin that still abides in us. Cause us to hate that sin this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be encouraged to pursue holiness anew. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul starts this section of his letter by calling the believers there at Ephesus to forsake ungodliness. Specifically, he says to forsake the Gentile way of living. But verse 17 is striking, and it should signal to us the intention of the passage, because the fact is that almost all of those receiving this letter were, in fact, Gentiles. Still, here, Paul speaks with a weight of solemnity, invoking the name of the Lord, saying that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, now when he uses that term here, Gentiles, 
He's using it the, in the less technical sense that the Bible often uses it. Throughout, scriptures, uh, throughout the scriptures, that term Gentile is often used to just refer to those apart from God. And he says that the manner of living that befits those apart from God is not fitting for those in Christ. So immediately we can see that Paul is calling believers away from their natural way of life, and he's calling them to another way of life. He's calling them to the life that they've been given in Christ. And in order to help us see ungodliness for what it is, Paul begins to tell us about the Gentile way of living. What sort of life is unfit for the Christian to live? Paul says that those apart from God walk in the futility of their minds. And you understand that to say that the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds is to say that they walk in patterns of thought that are are worthless and are incapable of actually producing good. But, But some may say, at that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's ridiculous to say that unbelievers can't produce anything good. Surely they can contribute to society in, in the world at large. But in response, I would simply ask you to qualify what you mean by good. You see, for you to do something good, you have to have several things. For you to do anything good, You have to have right motive, you have to have right expression, and you have to have the right results. And what Paul is saying here is that those apart from God think and they walk in a manner that can't be called good. It can't be called right or useful because unbelievers lack the proper motivation. That is, they're not driven to seek the glory of God. So he says that their thoughts and their deeds are worthless. They literally have no ultimate, eternal worth to them. And therefore, Paul calls them futile. And then we're told why the unbelievers' thoughts and lifestyle are futile. Why is it that those separated from God can't have right motivations? Well, verse 18 tells us, look there, it says, they are darkened in their understanding." So we come to see that the reason the non-believers thinking and living is futile is because they haven't experienced the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. The the work whereby the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, begins to show us how to understand the world and the things in it as they really are. You see, the, the Holy Spirit's work of illumination is really part of His sanctifying work in us. But, but the experience of the unbeliever being darkened in their understanding is to not see reality the way that God has designed it and ordered it. Brothers and sisters, fundamental to the Christian way of thinking is what's known as the creator-creature distinction. When contemplating anything, the, the Christian stops, or should stop, and Think about the fact that God is creator. I am his creature. God has designed the world to work in a certain way, and I am simply to submit to that design. 
But that's not the way that the unbeliever thinks. We're rejecting the notion of God and submission to him. Those apart from God think that the world and the way that it works is up for interpretation. And the ultimate authority is some form of autonomous human reason. Paul's words here are an echo of what he says in Romans 1. You you remember, speaking of unbelievers there, Paul says, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Can you hear it? In refusal to acknowledge the creator-creature distinction, the unbeliever takes all the wrong things and puts them in the place of authority. They they take all the wrong things and put them in the place of honor. And this is the mind of the unbeliever. This is the mind of those apart from Christ. And the reason that they have not experienced the illumination of the Holy Spirit is because they've not experienced the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18 again. It says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Remember, friends, I said at the outset that the Spirit's work of sanctification is for those who've been given new life in Christ. In our Union with Christ series, we covered a few weeks ago what it means to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. It's the supernatural work of God to make you alive spiritually by uniting you to Christ through faith. And Paul says that because non-Christians are not alive in Christ, their earthly life is lived with a, a warped, contorted sense of reality. This darkness and futility result in a life that's anything but holy. Rather than a a life that's holy and pleasing to God, verse 19 tells us the sort of life that flows from their thinking is only sinful. Look at the text in verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, it should be noted here that what Paul is describing here is where those apart from Christ wind up. Okay, The idea is that just as sanctification is a progressive process, here we read that godlessness is a progression as well. In saying that they are callous here, what, what Paul means is that unbelievers eventually lose the capacity to feel shame and embarrassment for sin. Of course, giving themselves up to sensuality entails sexual lust, but it also covers all forms of lust. Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. In essence, the apostle is telling us that they give themselves over in pursuit of whatever they find gratifying. Whatever's pleasurable to the senses. And as they do this, their appetite for worldly, sinful pleasures just grows. This is what's meant when we read that they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The flesh, you see, is never satisfied. 
And it, it will always demand more and more and more. Failing to see where God has said true satisfaction lies when the unbeliever acts on their darkened thought patterns, their appetite for ungodliness simply multiplies. Now, I'd be remiss at this point if I didn't stop and just speak directly to those who've not experienced the regenerating and illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you've not cast all your hope this morning on the Lord Jesus to save you from the wrath of God that is to come, on all of the corrupt thoughts and actions that I've just described, you need to know this morning, if that's you, that there is grace available to you this morning if you'll receive it. You know, no doubt some will hear this description of those apart from Christ and say, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not incapable of experiencing shame or, or guilt over my sin. And my appetite for sin doesn't grow exponentially day by day. You know, I admit that I, of course, I, I give in to what the Bible calls sin often. But, but seriously, it, it doesn't grow at some rapid pace like you're making it out. I, I can be satisfied with the pleasures that I pursue. And there's a, there's a lot to be unpacked about that sort of objection but remember, okay, Paul is describing the progression of the mind and heart of those apart from Christ. So friend, I would plead with you this morning, if that is you, listen, if there is an ounce of shame left over your sin against a holy God this morning, if you can sense that at all, then I plead with you to run to Christ in faith and repentance right now before you become totally callous. Tr trust in His substitutionary death and his, his payment for your sins. Trust in His resurrection as the power to give you new life and eternal life. Trust in Him while there's time, friend. And for those of us who, who know the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. Our focus has to remain clear in this portion of the text. And that is the call away from ungodly thoughts and deeds. Brothers and sisters, let me plead with you as well. From what we've read already, let me just plead with you. When we see ourselves growing less shameful of sin, when we notice that we're giving in to those things that satisfy our fleshly desires more and more. Alarm bells should be going off, friends. Alarm bells should be going off indicating that that is the way of death, not the way of life. And that's precisely the alarm that Paul rings here as he transitions to the next point in the text. He says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And with that, we transition to his next point as well. And that is a call to pursue holiness. We're going to consider now his call to pursue holiness. First, we were given a call to forsake ungodliness. Now, as Paul describes this sanctification process, he issues to the Christian a call to pursue holiness. He says that giving over to sin is not the way you learned Christ. And by that, he means 
It's not the way you've come to know what life in Christ is like. That's not the way of a disciple, Paul says. He goes on to say, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, do you hear the contrast between the mind of the unbeliever and what the Spirit works to teach the believer? In verse 18, we read that the Gentile is darkened in their understanding. And we read here that the truth is in Jesus. So the unbeliever cannot see the world as it truly is. And therefore, thinks that ultimate satisfaction is found in superficial pleasures. While the Spirit works in the Christian to reveal the truth about the way reality works. The reality is that God has designed things such that putting away impurity and fleeting desires is the path to ultimate satisfaction. That's why we read verse 20. Look at it. But that's not the way you learn Christ. So what is the way you learn Christ? Verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. There you have it. The the natural man is deceived in his desires. But in turning to Christ, we've come to know the truth. That ungodliness is a worthless pursuit that we should put away. Instead, Paul says that we should give ourselves to something else. And this is crucial. If we're going to understand sanctification rightly, brothers and sisters, Sanctification is not just the act of putting off ungodliness and sin. You hear me? Sanctification is not just the act of putting off ungodliness and sin. That's only half of it. In order to progress in sanctification, you have to pursue holiness by putting on the new self. You know, I find that Christians can often get disappointed and depressed spiritually because of this. This this reality right here can cause a lot of angst in the Christian life. What happens is Christians can focus a lot of energy and effort on forsaking sin, but they don't give the same energy to cultivating godliness. And, And so because of that, you can begin to feel like you're just spinning your wheels, spiritually speaking. Just sliding back into the same patterns of thought and behavior, not realizing that it's because you haven't replaced the sinful thoughts and actions with holy ones. But the question remains, okay, what then is this new self like? What do we, how do we know what to give ourselves to and focus on and pursue Anytime anyone's trying to make progress in any given area of life, progress is defined by a clear target in in assessing how close one is to that target. So what's the target for the Christian? Well, Paul tells us what the new self is like. He says, put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. So be like God. No, really. Be like God. 
Being like God in, in holiness and righteousness is the call of the Christian life. That, that's why Romans 8.29 says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. For what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Our primary task in the world, friends, is to reflect the character of God. We can never forget that. Of course, there are limitations to this. The Bible nowhere teaches the heresy of sinless perfectionism. 1 John 1.8 is clear. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So we'll never escape sin fully, yet we do have to be careful here in our thinking, lest we undermine the wonder of the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. And it is a wondrous work, brothers and sisters, that God would grow us in practical, actual holiness. And this is the fault of those who use that phrase we were talking about a moment ago. I'm just a sinner saved by grace thinking that the Christian life is merely about abusing the grace of God. No, we experience grace in order to pursue holiness and righteousness that pleases God, according to verse 24. So, just practically, how? How do we pursue righteousness and holiness? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk today about what's just and righteous, right? Open your phone, turn on the TV, and there you have it. You can get any number of opinions on what's just and righteous. So, do we do, we do that? Do we just go along with the cultural conception of it? No. No, we, we go to the Word of God and discover what it says about righteousness and holiness. Friends, that's how the illumination of the Spirit of God works, in conjunction with the Word of God. And as you discover what it says pleases God, then you pray. You pray that God would enable you to think and speak and act in that way. You, you see it? You have divine enablement an intentional engagement in this process of sanctification. Now, that may seem overwhelming to you. But Paul points out a couple of realities about sanctification in this passage that should be massively encouraging to the believer as you pursue holiness and righteousness. And so, uh, they're very encouraging to me. So I want to share them before we wrap up our time in the Word together this morning, let's consider these two things that should be encouraging to us. The first has to do with identity, and the second has to do with desires. So concerning the, the matter of identity, look with me at verse 22 and 24. You see, we have a corrupt nature that always seeks to deter us from pursuing holiness, but... It's clear from these verses that when we receive salvation in Christ, we not only receive pardon from sins, we receive a new nature. That's why we read in our text that we aren't just told to put off old actions, 
Rather, we're told to put off an old identity, the old self. And then we're told to put on a new identity, the new self. And this new self, Paul says, is created, past tense, created in the likeness of God. So you see, the process of sanctification that the apostle is is calling us to is really just a long progression toward realizing the already but not yet. What God has already accomplished in Christ Jesus, but what we've not yet fully realized. You see, God has given us a new identity in Christ. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And one day, because of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, we will live in a state of sinlessness. Praise God. And until then, our lives are to be spent progressively growing into what God has said is already ours in Christ. But but we do this with complete confidence that I don't labor in vain. As certainly as Christ has accomplished what He purposed to do, I know that the new self is already mine. I'm just coming into conformity with it with each passing day. I had a professor once that I added on social media. I don't know if that was appropriate or not, but I did. And uh, he accepted it, so I guess it was. Fine. And this professor, I remember, he had a, 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 one of those little bio blurbs on his social media account that captured this concept so well. It, it had his name written there, and then uh, it, it read like this. A sinner redeemed by grace becoming more like who I really am day by day. That's the Christian life, friends. Becoming more like who we really are day by day. And that should be encouraging to us. That this identity is yours, bought with the blood of Christ already. You're growing into it day by day. And along with that encouragement, there's another reality in this text that should encourage the Christian. And that's the fact that the old deceitful desires are not the only ones that we're left with in this life. Because God has made you a new creation, even though we're not yet fully who we will be on that last day, even now, the Holy Spirit grants us new desires. That's why Paul doesn't just say, now pursue righteousness and holiness. No, what does he say? Look look closely in verse 22. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now friends, I'll save you the exegetical journey here, but when he wrote this, Paul actually doesn't mean to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. To be sure, the, the Holy Spirit is the one to credit, but he's to credit for having given you a mind that's useful for spiritual renewal, spiritual health and vibrancy. He's given you a a spirit, lowercase s, a spirit of holy aspirations and righteous desires. You see, brothers and sisters, it's not that the process of sanctification is a long series of simple 
self-denial. Yes, it involves self-denial. We, we deny ourselves, but really, it's a long process of denying temporary worldly desires so that we can say yes to real, genuine, eternal, godly desires. You, you see the encouragement? God has not left you ill-equipped to live the Christian life or even void of genuine desire to do so. Praise God. This is why Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So it's clear. The Christian is given a will toward holy living. The Holy Spirit gives you an appetite for the things of God. However faint that appetite may seem at times, friend, count it as a precious grace of God when you see it. And, and, and do all that you can to feed that God-given appetite for holiness. You submit to it without hesitation because it's God who gives that desire for you to act on. You see, divine enablement, intentional engagement. So church, let us not abuse the grace of God and take on that mindset that I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Let us believe that theology, but may our response to that grace be to run hard after holiness and righteousness, trusting all the while that God will make us more like Himself as we do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for the promises of Your Word, specifically, God, that in Christ, You have predestined us for conformity to Your Son. God, I do pray that this morning as we consider what it means to grow in sanctification, God, that, that You would, again, help us to increase our appetite for holiness and to hate sin that offends You, an infinitely holy and righteous God. Lord, I pray that You would enable us to grow day by day. And Father, where possible, please increase these desires and give us grace to submit to them without hesitation. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.